Hello, Bulls Nation. Welcome to the Rebuild the Bull podcast. I'm your host, Matt Gentile, and today we're starting a special two-part episode. Some of the heaviest hitters in the Bulls blogging and podcasting world are joining me to take a look at the state of the Chicago Bulls. Our first part will be a bit more of a retrospective, where we look back at the 2020 season and the changes that have occurred since April. In part two, we'll break down how these moves could impact the state of the franchise going forward. But before we bring in our panel, let me take you back on a journey of the 2020 season and all the events that unfolded afterward. Prior to the opening tip of the 2020 season, there was growing optimism. While John Paxson and Gar Foreman were still at the helm, Bulls fans were excited to see the young core of Zach Levine, Larry Markkinen, Wendell Carter Jr., and rookie Kobe White develop. And there was cautious optimism that maybe this team could make the playoffs in a weak Eastern Conference. We want to compete at a high, high level. We think we can compete. And when you compete at a high level, you have the ability to be a playoff caliber team. And we, are, we set that as a goal. Instead, the Bulls stumbled out of the gate at 6-14 and 14 and never seemed to find their footing. Markkinen took a step back in his third season, seeing declines across the board in all major statistics. Carter and veteran Otto Porter dealt with injuries that sidelined them for extended periods of time. And then there was head coach Jim Boylan. Hell yeah! Boylan made plenty of questionable decisions throughout the regular season, from lineup snafus and mishandling of minutes to lack of player development and growth. Boylan failed to get the most out of his young core. His hardline antics seemed to be wearing thin on the roster, and he also gained a poor reputation around the league. Hell yeah! When the NBA world descended upon Chicago during All-Star Weekend, things hit a boiling point for the organization. From fans chanting fire gar packs at multiple events, to analysts questioning the poor state of the franchise, it was clear the Bulls had plummeted into a dark territory. I'm, I'm with the team, man. You know, I gotta, I gotta put the team first. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta put the team first. But uh... There were a couple of notable bright spots. Zach Levine improved on his 2019 campaign by averaging almost 25 points per game. There was also Kobe White. White was uneven earlier in the season and struggled to show an ability to play the point, but he did come on strong later in the year, averaging over 20 points per game in March and February. Here comes Kobe. Stop. After the COVID-19 pandemic shut down the league in early March, more reports surfaced that the Bulls were ready to make sweeping changes in the front office. In April, the team reassigned John Paxson to an advisory role and fired Gar Foreman. Denver Nuggets GM Arturis Karnaschovas was hired as the new executive VP of basketball operations, and he has since laid the groundwork to change the organizational structure of the team. The front office has many new faces, including new general manager Mark Eversley, who has had front office roles with the Philadelphia 76ers and Toronto Raptors. We value inclusion of staff. We will challenge our staff. We will implement transparency, communication, functionality. At the end of the day, we're both basketball junkies, and we are looking forward to this opportunity to turn the Bulls organization around. Throughout the summer and during the NBA restart in Orlando, Questions swirled about the status of Jim Boylan. Were Karnaschovas and Eversley going to start fresh at head coach, or retain Boylan due to potential financial constraints? Ultimately, when the regular season games concluded in the bubble, Karnaschovas and Eversley decided to relieve Boylan of his duties. Hell yeah! The search for a head coach started, and it appeared Karnaschovas and Eversley were targeting highly touted assistants like M.A. Udoka, Dan Craig, and Wes Unsell Jr., but an unlikely candidate emerged out of the blue. With the Oklahoma City Thunder ready to embark on a full-scale rebuild, the Thunder and coach Billy Donovan decided to mutually part ways. Donovan had his sights set on a playoff contending team, but Karnaschovas and Eversley went all-in on a pitch to Donovan, and eventually sold him on a chance to help resurrect one of the NBA's premier franchises. I was really, really taken back by what Arturis was looking for. He wants a partner. He wants somebody to 
walk hand in hand with to help build things. I'm excited about working with these guys, excited for you know what the future is going to hold. And I'm really, really excited to be working hand in hand with Arturis on a, on a daily basis. With Karnaschovas, Eversley, and Donovan leading the way, a new era is dawning on Chicago Bulls basketball. A once apathetic fan base has been rejuvenated, and the poor perception that plagued the team throughout the last decade is starting to fade. Yes, there is still plenty of work to be done, but with a young core and an emphasis toward player development, there is no doubt that there is finally plenty of reason for optimism. All right, so let's meet our panel first. Joining us from the Bulls podcast is Marcus Couch. Hey, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, from the Bulls Gold podcast is none other than Salim Surtawala. Salim, your fifth appearance on this podcast. Welcome back. Yep. Uh, lucky number five. I guess we can call it that. Thanks for having me on, man. You are actually tied with Big Dave Watson for the uh, most appearances on this podcast. Uh, uh, very, very good person to be tied with. Absolutely. You're in good company. Uh, next, he uh, goes by the moniker of the Bulls GM on Twitter and Bulls Confidential. He's Ryan Borja. Ryan. This is your uh, first appearance, so welcome to the Rebuildable Podcast. Yeah, no, thank you. And uh, finally, you've heard him call in frequently to the Waddle and Sylvie show on ESPN 1000. He hosts the Chicago Bullseye Podcast, and he's the driver of the big red bus. He's, of course, C-Red Fred. Fred, how's that big glass of uh, C-Red Kool-Aid taste these days? Oh, it's it's going down beautifully. Uh, I, I'm grateful to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Matt, to celebrate the uh, the birth of the Red Leviathan with my esteemed colleagues. I'm, I'm excited. Thank you. Oh, Christ. Um, <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> celebrate. No, no. And like, look, this is um, I think it's an understatement. Like a lot's changed in a year's time. Right. Not not just what's going on globally and, and in this country, but with our team, the team we root for. And it's just been a, a massive, massive transformation. Um, but before we get into the, the changes that have occurred, I want to go back to last year in September 2019. We were, were coming off a point where Garpax had just drafted Kobe White, Daniel Gafford. The team signed Tomas Sadoransky, Thaddeus Young, uh, Luke Cornett, the Robert Ori clone. And I want to know where each of you thought this team was trending towards uh, before the start of the the 2020 season, so I'll start with you, Marcus. Marcus, where'd you where'd you see this, this team trending about a year ago? We were really high on the team a year ago. The signing of Sato was an exciting prospect, given that he had played with Otto Porter Jr. Um, you know, Luke Cornett seemed to be that kind of stretch stretch guy that could make a three that we were all looking for and and we all went on to YouTube and checked out that game where he had lit the bulls up and thought, Oh, okay, finally we can turn the tables and use this guy against other people. Uh, and then, <laughs> you know, it just did not, uh, you know, Thad young uh, was a great veteran presence it, it expected and delivered in terms of last year. Um, you know, in, in terms of his presence, let's just keep it at that. Uh, but that's, that's the expectation. I thought when we signed those guys and I thought Lowry marketing would have a, 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 a great year coming in, in September, you were really high on Zach Levine. You know, we all thought Zach Levine would be at the all-stars, uh, you know, in the, in the all-star uh, game as a player, but uh, not as a three point contest participant. So that's where I was a year ago. Now, I want to take it around to the to the rest of our participants. So uh, let's go to to you, Fred. Fred, where where were you at about this point last year? Where was uh where do you think this team oh, yeah. was trending? I mean, to touch on what Marcus said, dude, it was a kumbaya moment. I mean, from Doggable Nation, you know, Mark K, Ricky O'Donnell, all the reviews were. I can't believe the Bulls made these great moves of getting Thad Young and Sato, and you know, we were all holding hands and and celebrating. Remember the first week of October? I actually. Witness a practice. I asked Jim Boylan, uh, nine out of the top 10 teams in three-point percentage made the playoffs. Nine out of the bottom 10 teams in three-point percentage missed the playoffs. Are we going to shoot more threes? And he responded and assured me that we'd be shooting a lot more th threes 
with uh, Fleming's new offense and, you know, for the entire preseason. Let's go back and all the excitement about Fleming, Fleming this, Fleming's offense. And then suddenly, as soon as the season started, it was Boylan's offense, Boylan's offense. You know, it was just it just shifted into a, a, a negative dire uh, mire of of hell. So, yeah, I mean, we were all pretty united and it just went south very quickly after game one. Uh, mire of hell. I really like that. Um, you know, Ryan, um, I want to get your thoughts as well. Like, where were you thinking this team was trending going into 2020? I was definitely uh, drinking the Bulls Kool-Aid a little bit. I think part of the problem was from previous off seasons, the Bulls just, just were so bad from signing, you know, Felicio to the extension to Jabari Parker as a small forward. And we finally got an off season where, you know, they were, they were filling holes correctly. Um, and then so, it, it, you know, and obviously we thought all the young players are going to take another step. And, you know, obviously that did not happen uh, this year. But I was definitely a lot, very optimistic. I thought Bullen could at least get this team to, you know, play hard and be competitive and play good enough defensively to win some games. Um, so I was definitely – I thought at least they would be competing for an eighth seed. Um, but that clearly was not the case this year. And I'll toss it to you, Salim. I remember, Salim, you had come on shortly before the season on on the podcast, and we were both talking, and I, I said, you know, this could be a team that at the very least could be in a development season um, or compete for a playoff spot. And we were sort of in lockstep that at the very like least it could be a 32-35 win team. Yeah, and I expected them to have, like you said, player development. I didn't, I didn't see a playoff team. Um, but I was thinking, you know, the Bulls would be the kings from the year before last, where you saw them take a nice step. Young players looked like, hey, but they have some promising young guys that have taken the step for, further in their development. And, you know, they just missed the playoffs, but there's optimism going forward. So that's what I was th- thinking we would see. But obviously we didn't see any development from guys like Larry, Wendell Carter. I feel like Kobe was misused for most of the season. Probably should have started more, but also really wasn't, you know, developed in his point guard play. So, yeah, my expectations were maybe seeing some more development and and having, you know, a positive view at the end of the season going forward. I'm going to throw the next question to uh, to our eternal optimist, C. Red Fred here. Fred, for you, where do you think everything kind of went awry for the Chicago Bulls? Was there a specific game or moment where you kind of saw, all right, this this is not looking good? Yeah, I think it started with the first game. Yeah, you blow a 10-point fourth-quarter lead. Zach starts playing hero ball. It was a horrific loss to a Charlotte team in a game that Laurie Markinen actually played like a superstar. That's a horrible way to start your season. Um, and then they blow by, you know, within the first month, up until November, they blew four double-digit leads, a 19-point lead against the Lakers, an 18-point lead against the Knicks, a 10-point lead against the Cavs, and obviously, as I just mentioned, the 10-point lead against the Hornets. Four leads that you blew within the first month of the season. Bad teams don't build double-digit leads. Young, talented teams who don't know how to close or finish blow those leads without solid leadership, especially from their coach. So the Bulls suffered for two reasons. They lost their starting three, and Otto Porter Jr., and his backup in Hutch. And number two, their full-fledged buffoon of a coach didn't know what to do about it. So he threw his son out there to start with Zach and and Dunn, and that's not what you do when you have a completely legit option and Denzel Valentine give you some minutes there. But regardless, that's where it started. It just We didn't have good leadership, and I thought Zach played far too much hero ball to start the season. And we and then obviously the injury to Otto Porter Jr. really killed us because he is a key linchpin for this team. Uh, real quick, when other before others uh, chime in on this one, for those that aren't familiar, when you say the coach's son, you mean, of course, Ryan Archidiacono, correct? Yeah, he's the guy who lives in Coach Boylan's basement. Boylan loves him. They play catch football and go, uh, to, go to McDonald's after every game. He's super proud of him. He never talked bad about any other player besides Ryan A. I, and you're in trouble. You are in trouble, Fred. Because if you listen to Why? Billy Donovan's press conference, he said he is well familiar with Ryan Archidiacono. He scouted Ryan. He co- he recruited Ryan. He knows Ryan in and out. So if you thought the coach's son uh, was there before, 
you better get ready well, for the family reunion, my friend. He he must not have brought that up out of the blue. Hey. Some <laughs> reporter had asked him it, I'm sure. Because let's be honest, Ryan A doesn't see the court if this team uh, next season, because unless there's an injury to Dunn, Valentine, Zach Levine, or Kobe White, that's a four-guard rotation that has to remain that way. And if he gets thrown in there, it's due to the fact either due to an injury or that, you know, Billy had a lobotomy. Hey, he's a 21 champion. He plays game one. 10 bucks says he plays game one. (laughs) You're on. You're on. All right. Uh, Let's not forget he chose to go to Villanova, not Florida. So I'm sure Billy isn't too happy about that. We'll see what happens. Hey, look, if he plays in game one, it's okay. Just don't play him at the three. Uh, Salim, what about you? Do you have uh, any thoughts on where things went awry last year? For me, it was I started worrying personally when against that Cavs team, we went in a game five. They shouldn't, uh, there's no business losing that game. You had a very poor Cavs team, and then you got outplayed by Tristan Thompson. He was absolutely, you know, taking our launches. Uh, Con Sexton was making us look foolish. I remember there was one play where Zach was just completely aimlessly, you know, roaming around on defense, and and Sexton, a back backdoor cut him for easy uh, lay in. It was just an embarrassment to me at that point. I was like, you know what, our 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 problems might be more than just a slow start here. And then the second game where I'll say too is against the Lakers, and Fred brought that up when we gave up like a what a nineteen point lead. Uh, after that game was where I my biggest concerns were Boylan came to fruition that's going into that season like this guy is does not know what he's doing he we when the lakers were cutting into that lead he did not make the rotation to bring our starters back in and after the game when he was asked why did he wait so long to bring starters back in he was like i have to develop uh 15 players on this roster it's like that's not that's not the time to develop players man (laughs) you you have a win you're close to getting a win against a, a, a championship caliber team and you completely demoralize your team at, at, if anything, after, after giving up such a big lead and losing. So that I was like, man, we're going to be in for a really long season. And, and everything I feared about Jim Boylan is pretty much coming to fruition. Let me, uh, let me toss this one out to the entire group and, you know, whoever wants to field this one first, feel free. I think everyone has a share of um, issues from the the 2020 season. But where do you guys think the bulk of the blame should go? You know, was it Garpax for not really setting the tone? Was it Boylan's ineptitude? Or, you know, do the players really just not do enough on their own to take strides in 2020? Uh, I mean, it's got to be the front office. I mean, the front office, I mean, before the season sold to you, that this was a playoff team, that they were taking all the right steps in the right direction. Um, and literally a month into the season, it was pretty clear this is not a playoff team and they're heading backwards. Um, you know, they, they they convinced themselves Jim Poyland was what they needed. I don't know how you can watch his first interim season uh, and think, oh, this is exactly what we need. Um, cause it was pretty clear to me that, you know, from right up from the jump, from the jump, the players weren't buying into, um, his, you know, his practice methods and just the way they were running the offense. It just, it was, it was all things that, you know, weren't going to lead to winning, but for some reason, the bulls convinced themselves, oh, I'll get better through this off season. We'll get a couple players and everything will just be better. Uh, and they just completely went backwards with, with their development. Um, so to me, it, it has to be the front office. I mean, uh, you know, they, they're the reason. I mean, yes, Jim Boylan and the players take responsibility, but at the end of the day, this was the same front office that really believed in this team and really clearly misevaluated their own roster. I like to jump in there. Billy Donovan wouldn't be here. There was no talent on this roster. I don't think our tourists would be here. I don't think any of us would be sitting here talking about the team. There was no talent on this roster. So I know we're going to reflexively criticize every single thing that the front office has done. Their greatest sin, without a doubt, and you go back all 20 years, was drafting this buffoon to be our head coach. The fact of the matter is there is nobody sitting here that believes that Wendell Carter Jr., Zach Levine, Kobe White, and Laurie Markkinen should – every one of us believes that they underperformed last season. 
And a lot of that uh, has to do with their head coach. Unless, am I wrong? Somebody else well, believes that they actually performed, you know, performed where they should have. No, Lori Markkinen well, did not perform well. He did not improve. So, to me, big picture, the blame, yeah, it's partly on the front office for hiring this guy. But, you know, we reflexively just criticize everything the front office did. And it, I understand it get, got to that point. And you go back to the Kings offering Zach Levine $19 million and the Bulls matching it. Half the fan base was outraged. How, how stupid does that look in retrospect? You know, and, or drafting Laurie ahead of uh, Dennis Smith Jr. Or, tr- or the Otto Porter Jr. trade. And it, we can go on and on with all the moves that were made, whether or not they were right or wrong. For the vast majority, when it comes to talent evaluation, they did a good job. I don't think yeah. I think it's going to be hard well, to, to. I didn't want to. I didn't, I didn't want to imply that they have no talent. Yeah, I mean I, they have players that have talent, but the way I look at it is, you two years ago, three years ago, you traded Jimmy Butler. I look at the standings right now. I don't think the Bulls are better than about six teams in the East, and arguably seven. And if you're going to trade your star player away. And you have two years of, you know, rebuilding. And I still look at six teams in the East that I think are still better than the Bulls. And you want to argue maybe a few, you know, maybe like a team like uh, Indiana isn't or whatever. But at the end of the day, there are four or five teams in the East alone that I think are clearly clearly better than the Bulls, clearly more talented than the Bulls. And I haven't even covered the West yet. Uh, yeah, but in the year Bulls, three of a rebuild, year three of a rebuild, you're saying they're the seventh best team. That's pretty good. Like I agree with you. Well, I said they could be the seventh best better. team. I don't know. They could be the seventh best team, but you know they've been one of the like they've been one of the worst teams in the league. And while Boylan, I agree, is a part of the problem, I'm not. Sh- is is the new coach going to make a ten plus win difference? I mean, yes. Oh yeah, and I'll well, and I'll yeah. chime in on that in terms of this. And and there are two moments, three actually. That and, and I was going to answer that last question if you don't mind. I'll throw that in now the the point of the season last year that i thought the end was near two things uh zach levine saying why during the infamous uh, stupid timeout with i think 15 seconds left and the jakar sampson revenge game uh that was pathetic you know when you let a guy go off on you like that and i think the coach has a ton to do with it because of the fact that is it going to equal 10 more wins? I think it's going to equal 20 more wins this season because this is a guy who's worked with superstars and knows how to handle them and get some offense out of them. When I heard Coach Donovan today talking, he's like, you know, three-pointers, all that. It, it, it's not just three-pointers. It's analytics. Where do guys shoot their shots the best? For certain players, a three-pointer is not a great shot. Now, we had a coach last year that restricted guys and said, you are not taking mid-range jump shots, period. I don't care if you're wide open. You're not going to take that shot. So I think, yeah, are, are more points going to be had because the game for the Bulls and the game plan for the Bulls is going to shift – to the strengths of our guys, yeah, that's going to lead to a lot more wins. Yeah, so to me, I I agree with Ryan in a sense that it starts with the front office. You you can say the talent is there or whatever, but it's the front office responsibility to put in player development. You know, play, people to bring in to develop talent on the team. When ever Mark Eversley had his first, um, you know media conference on the zoom meeting he said i was surprised that there's only one person in charge of player development that squarely falls onto the front office their inability to really focus on getting guys developed and you see guys like larry took a drastic step back now obviously some of it also goes on him for not i don't know what he does in the offseason to improve his game but the, the organization certainly isn't helping him there you're seeing Wendell Carter Jr. made no improvements. Defensively, he was still very good. Uh, he 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 was great on that end. But offensively, you didn't see any development there. Uh, he, he You didn't see him take a jump shot, a lot of jump shots. Granted, some of that was, again, on Boylan. But other times, he just refused to take those shots, too. He was very hesitant. Uh, Kobe, again, I brought up earlier, he was very aimless in how he was being developed as a point guard, just going out the green light, chucking shots. So, like I said, it trickles down. I don't. You can't really just say that uh, everything was, was Jim Boylan's fault. 
it starts from the top where Jim Bo- Garn Pax did so, so many different things that made this roster and this rebuild to where it's at. And 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 forget also, let's go back a couple of years when they had the really good opportunity to properly tank and try to get one of the one of like Luca, Trey Young, or whatever. They decided to you know keep uh, Nikola Miritich where he had to, had us win seven games in a row. Uh, later on the season, they brought in a guy like, you know, Sean Kilpatrick, unnecessarily the favor to uh, Mark Bartlestein for some damn reason, who helped us win a couple of games there. So that also screwed up the tank too. So they mismanaged the tank, and then they mismanaged oh, well, their the development. Kings, yeah, but the Kings, the Kings went up to two. If we would have actually done a little bit better, we would have gone up to two. That's bad luck. Has nothing to do with tank. We, we tanked perfectly well. We were one of the worst teams in the league. We got in the lottery and we lost the lottery. Happened three straight years. Like I, I didn't. We got a number one pick. We, we didn't tank perfectly well. We were the seventh. We had like the seventh worst it, record. That's not tanking well. The fact is, is that the Kings moved up because we we actually won the the coin flip. We did That's better. They're tied with us. We should have lost a lot more games, and we would have ended up with a top five pick. And the Kings still moved ahead of us. The so what? We could have still gotten on Trey Young or someone it, like that. Yeah, it, it, it is a balance also too to develop the young players that we already had on the roster. It's so easy to say, well, we should have done a lot worse than we did. They were trying to lose. Those teams sucked. They were terrible teams. And you still have to develop your young players, and you still have to throw them out there, and still have to perform. I, I, I it's a, it's a crapshoot. We lost that lottery. We didn't get Luca. Yeah. Sacramento had opportunity to but move on. Agree to disagree. We're gonna agree I think, yeah, and I was going to say, gentlemen, I think the good news is we can definitely move on because times are changing. So that's that's a one positive we can take is that it, it did kind of spur some change. Um, I mentioned in the pre-recorded piece leading into this panel that All-Star Weekend really felt like the tipping point. Um, there were the fire Garpax chants and a lot of talk about how bad the team really was. And Marcus, I'll, I'll throw this question to you first. How much do you think All-Star Weekend played in the uh, decision to start making wholesale changes? I think the fact that Zach Levine was not in the All-Star game was the beginning of the end for Jim Boylan because suddenly you're not coaching a guy who's an All-Star because your team sucks, right? They don't, they don't make All-Stars out of really bad, bad teams. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, and Zach just had the wind taken out of his sails because of the season. I think he would have had a great slam dunk contest if Zach would have – if the Bulls were doing well, Zach would have been in that contest. And he would have been an all-star if the Bulls were doing well. It would have been a, a crowning moment for the Bulls, and you, you probably would have seen them carry that momentum into – the some semblance of playoffs. So I know, guess as they are now. Do you think though that some of that national embarrassment though might have spurred the the change though from the Reinsdorfs? That I mean, and seeing it, the it empty seats every every game. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean it was it was definitely like I think the All-Star was a very embarrassing moment. Um I mean it seems to me didn't John Paxson in December pretty much tell ownership it's it's time to move on. I am not the right man for this job. Uh, mm-hmm. I you know, um, you know, clearly my vision is not going to work here. I think, you know, like I said, the all-star game was kind of like a, like a icing on the cake. It was kind of like confirmation. Okay. We're headed in the wrong direction here, whether it's coaching roster, whatever, we're not doing it right. But I think, you know, the, the ownership kind of realized, and I think Fred had it best that that first month of November was really bad. I mean, the bulls were blowing games against teams. They, you thought they should be, they were building leads, and then it was almost just like you knew the Bulls were going to lose this game just because it's what they've been doing all year. And so I think it became pretty clear by December that this was not – that at the very least, the front office is probably we – need, we need a new vision here. We need a new, uh, a new way. And I just think the All-Star game was kind of like an icing on the cake, but this more just, just a super embarrassing moment for the, for the franchise in general. But I feel like Man, it, I t- it was already kind of decided by that point. <laughs> Well, I was just going to mention, I think it all had to do a lot more with what happened before the All-Star game. People forget, Kobe White didn't even make the All-Rookie, didn't, didn't play in the All-Rookie game. He wasn't good yeah, up bad. until after the All-Star game. It was, and then suddenly, after the All-Star game, he played 
elite. He played at an elite level. If you look at his numbers after the All-Star game, it was a 10-game period. He was averaging 24-plus points. They were like All-Star numbers, not rookie numbers, All-Star numbers. So Wasn't that when his coach – wasn't that when his coach from North Carolina came to the game? That's when he finally. That was a great fire. game. Well, no, that was earlier in the season. He had a great game early on when it, when uh, yeah. Williams showed up. Roy Williams showed up, and he had he had a great game against Memphis. He had little flashes, but people don't like that. Yeah, he had mentioned or talk about it. He had horrible games. He he did not shoot the ball well up until. Uh, and I was not a believer in Kobe White until after the All Star game. And then you would have to be a moron not to be excited about. It was like a different player. It was consistently every night, 24-plus, fantastic performance after fantastic performance. And then we just had a, you know, our dumb coach still was bringing him off the bench. Fact is, we have a backcourt in Zach Levine and Kobe White that could be Portland, Portland uh, East. They're both not natural shooting guards or point guards. They're combo guards. That's exactly what they do in Portland. We got it here in Chicago. If that would have happened before the All-Star break, then I don't think the reaction would have been as nearly as bad. But, you know, Zach didn't have an incredible – I didn't think he had a great start. I thought he played a lot of hero ball at the end of these losses that I just described earlier, and he deserves some of the blame too. Now, I thought he played considerably better as we approach the All-Star break and the close of the season. But the whole team deserves blame. But, I, you know, obviously the vast majority of the blame goes to the head coach because he, he put him in the wrong direction. Yeah, I think the All-Star break definitely – had some effect to it in a sense that I don't I, I don't know if they if they get to that national platform and they Michael Reinsdorf's probably you know talking to different people getting this you know feedback that you guys are maybe kind of an embarrassment right now and then at that point it's like you know what we need to just completely change how we do everything so that's when they decide to go outside the organization I, I wonder if we didn't have the all-star game and it was just like the fan attendance and we're not seeing good development. I don't know if they go outside the organization. They maybe do what, you know, Ryan's normally does. Like I remember in the past, Ryan's has mentioned that he generally has like a list of, you know, people that he wants to take over after this next guy. So after PAX, you'd have someone else that wants to take over uh, that he knows that he's, you know, like either he's, had a relationship in the past with or whatever. But I do think the All-Star game, seeing that national level embarrassment made them say, you know what, let's uh, let's completely do this differently than we normally do. So David Kaplan from ESPN 1000 actually brought this up uh, the day after they hired uh, Billy Donovan. And um, he mentioned that really that All-Star weekend was when Michael and John Paxson went around and kind of put feelers out to different executives around the league. And Arturis Karnaschovas apparently was somebody that made a pretty big impression on them. So of course, you know, the Bulls end up hiring Karnaschovas as executive VP in, in April. Mark Eversley follows along as GM in May. Ryan, I'll, I'll start with you. Do you like this combination and, and what you've seen so far from them? Um, I mean, we haven't seen a whole lot. You know, the one thing I do like about AK is his thoroughness. He seems to you know, a lot of fans were criticizing AK because they wanted him to come in and just do what they wanted, you know, the, like just fireballing, fireballing. And I think, you know, normal season, you know, with l not as much time as they had, he probably does that quicker. But I like that one. Well, obviously the ownership was demanding it. But two, that, you know, he, he spoke about just being thorough with everything, making sure I'm making the right decision. I'm going to take as much time as needed to make these decisions correctly. And I, I, I respect that. I want my general manager to to take his time and make sure whatever decision he makes is going to be the correct one. And he took his time with Jim Bull. At the end of the day, he came to the conclusion that we all saw throughout this season and last season. I don't admittedly know much about Mark Eversley, but, you know, I like everything I've heard about Mark Eversley, specifically with his connection with the with players with from his time with Nike, how he's really good with uh, dealing with stars and stuff like that. And obviously that's something we have, we feel like we haven't had here in Chicago, just player friendly uh, executives that the players can relate to, or, uh, you know, have a relationship with like Eversley. So I'm excited about that. Um, so yeah, no, I, I definitely do like the combination so far. Uh, so for, for me, I'll say um, they're both well regarded. So, uh, you know, they do bring strengths to the table. I feel like as of now, there's no reason to really doubt them. You kind of have to give them the benefit of the doubt. And so far, I've liked what they've done, like bringing in Billy Donovan, 
Uh, they've also done little key hires. They went and got another international scout. Um, they got two player development coordinators. So adding to that, those little things that you know the Bulls really haven't had historically. And also, uh, you know, it just makes you feel more confident that they're they're heading towards building a team like in a modern NBA and functioning like a modern NBA franchise. So yeah, I'm excited about that and and it just in general, like I said, just at this moment, I'm giving them the, the benefit of the doubt, and I, I have no reason really at this point to be disappointed. Yeah, I I'll jump in and say I, I really don't care what they say. I, I I care what they do. I don't need to know their plan. Uh, I never understood the general outcry from the fan base. Uh, what's the plan? What's the plan? If if they tell us what the plan is, then every other GM in the league knows what the plan is. I'm sure they have their plan. I'm going to put my faith in what what that they're going to make the right decisions. He's done two things so far. He's fired Boylan and he's hired Donovan. That's a win-win. That's a big, big win-win. So um, I'm I'm ecstatic about what he's done so far. But all that matters is what he does with this roster going forward, who they determine is keepable, who they determine develops, who they determine is going to be good, and who do they determine they need to get rid of. There's a lot of work to be done and who they're going to draft with number four, what they're going to do with that pick. That's all I care about, what they do. I mean, it does help a lot, you know, that I think they're creating a professional atmosphere, and it's clearly a great thing that he's been able to recruit a top-notch coach like Billy Donovan. Um, you know, but we had some moments like that too with the previous org, you know, bringing in Tibbs that everybody loved, you know, so we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. I'm going to focus on one quote here from the press conference uh, from Arturis. And he said, we're going to go after the best available, regardless of my relationship with a person. And so he highlighted the fact that Billy Donovan wasn't on their radar until obviously he put himself on the radar by leaving Oklahoma City, but how many Tim Floyds and Fred Hoybergs and all the rest of it have we gone through because of a relationship that they've had with someone, and now we've got someone who comes in to the front office that says, I don't care who I know, I'm going after the studs in the NBA. I'm going after the people who have proven themselves and who are the best available at whatever it is that they do how long has it been since we've had a chicago bulls team that's that we can say that about yeah 100 and i uh wow i think just one ringing endorsement just to bring up real quickly is just watching denver this playoffs like now i know ak is not the sole responsibility for that team but clearly um he, you know he, we know he had a big impact on that team and the way it was built and it's just great to see that denver team obviously playing well uh, this bubble, albeit down one one uh, three one right now, but uh, it's it just seeing them play really well, and it's just it's I think it's really encouraging to for the Bull, Bulls fans to at least say, hey, he's done it before, and maybe he can do it here in, in, a, in an even bigger market. Well, and and one thing that's interesting here is with the front office that we see being built, you see Karnashovas has more of that scouting acumen behind him. Eversley has more of like a pro personnel. Uh, relationship building aspect, um, bringing in Donovan, who has cachet from college. He spent five years in, in OKC and has garnered a lot of respect around the league. And so to me, you have people from top tier organizations and front offices, and they're all coming together into one spot. So it's it's one thing I really like to see is that there's a lot of variety coming into the front office. It's not just one solid like uh, focus. Marcus, you brought up, you know, Billy Donovan, uh, the, the hire there. And, and um, you know, it seems like you, you're a big fan. It seems like a lot of people are a big fan of it. Um, there, there's nothing not to like about it, but were you initially thinking of an up and coming assistant coming in? Well, when, when he was available, like my, uh, my, you know, dark net, I guess you could say of NBA information lit up like a Christmas tree. And none of it mentioned the bulls, as I said previously. So when the bulls actually could pull the trigger on it, I was stunned. Like, I, I couldn't believe we got him. I, I, I you know, but I also couldn't believe we got Jabari Parker either. So, you know, <laughs> my opinion isn't that, that high on that, but I, yeah, I am a big fan. I, I am a big fan and I really do think that he's going to change the culture. Um, Jabari Parker another, or Billy Donovan? No, no, no. <laughs> uh, Billy Donovan. Because 
a, a reporter asked him a question about, uh, you know, starting over on the ground floor. And he said, I don't think this is the ground floor. It's just a new floor. You know, we have an opportunity for a blank slate to remake the culture of winning in Chicago. We've heard that from other coaches before, but I kind of think he means it this time. I think the most exciting thing about this hire is that when you look at throughout Bulls history, all you got to do is go back to 2008 when Skiles and interim coach Jim Boylan were fired, and that Jim Boylan sucked too. John Paxson <laughs> wanted to hire Mike D'Antoni to be his head coach, and he was nixed by Reinsdorf because he cost too much. Then he wanted to hire Doug Collins, who would have been an excellent choice for coach, and he was nixed for some ungodly dumb reason because he was friends with Reinsdorf. And then they had to settle on their third choice, which was Vinny Del Negro, who was a complete awful, you know, bonehead of a coach for two years. So this indicates a clearly a different direction from ownership that if it's going to cost money to get the best possible coach out there, that's what they're going to do. And there's two types of coaches, yeah. coaches who ask the talent to adapt to their system and coaches who adapt their system to the talent. This is the first Bulls coach in at least two decades that hasn't asked the talent to adapt to his system. You go back to Hoiberg, that's all I heard that nonsense about. He needs guys to run his stupid system like he invented basketball. You, Tibbs was a legend when he had Noah and Taj and Kevin Garnett playing defense in his system. But when they brought in Gasol and, and Cat in Minnesota, it didn't do as well. Well, why is that? Because they were asked to do his system. And they weren't mobile or talented enough defensively to run that system. So you can go back, even Phil Jackson run the triangle. That's the old way of thinking. Run, the talent's going to run my system. That's Bobby Knight and all that stuff. And that worked then, could still work occasionally now to get lucky with the talent, fits your system. But when it doesn't, you have disasters like we had with Fred Hoiberg. You have disasters like we had with Jim Boylan. That's what I love about Donovan. He's going to look and see what cards he's been dealt. He's going to create the best possible offense and defense around his talent. So I'm thrilled. This is a brand new day, and thank God. Fred, let me let me interject and ask you, because since you got that gleam in your eye right now, <laughs> uh, who do you think the the presence of Donovan, what scrub player on the Bulls, is going to break out of his shell and just be a freak? <laughs> Here we go. I think Valentine's going to benefit from It's obvious that <laughs> our, our, tourist, our tourist is a fan of smart players with high IQ who are good passers, everything he does well is a mirrors kind of like what you see in Denver with really smart players who pass, not necessarily all elite defensively, but they bring it on the offensive end. I think he's going to get his opportunity here. I could be wrong on that. And I think you're going to see guys that just aren't talented, but for whatever reason, you know, suck up to the coach or, or, or you know, do something to play football with them on the <laughs> off time. They're going to be relegated to the bench where they belong. <laughs> Can I throw that question around? Can everybody answer that? I'd love to hear this. What was the question again? The, uh, what player will now, now that Billy now most. that Billy's around, what scrub player on the Bulls is going to break out and just be crazy? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, well, I don't think he's a scrub, but one player I'm really looking forward to watch play now is Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, I felt like Boylan just kind of used him as a pick and roll man, post up man. And I, I feel like that's not his bet. You know, I want to see him more on the perimeter. Um, I want to see him, you know, face up more. And, you know, uh, you, you know. so it'll be more – I'm interested to see Wendell Carter Jr. because I felt like the first two years he wasn't really used correctly. Still played pretty well when on the floor. But I'm more excited to hopefully see him not post up anymore and be more uh, of a face up, uh, use his uh, speed to get by, you know, defenders. Amen. Yeah, uh, I don't think any of the scrubs are gonna be uh, better now because we added yeah, the Donovan. Yeah, I, I, I'm in the same mindset as Ryan here. I think I, I'm excited to see maybe a guy like Kobe White getting some direction, maybe actually having idea how to develop his point guard ability. Um, right now, obviously, he's not a point guard, and we need that him to develop that. Unless obviously we get another playmaker, who knows what happens in this draft or via trade or anything like that. Um, again, Wendell Carter Jr., I'd love to see him them utilize his passing game. Uh, that's a, untemp, unt, untapped potential there in his passing game, I feel like, that Boylan for yeah, you know whatever goofy reason just didn't want to use. Um, so, yeah, stuff like that I'm excited to see. And to answer the question about Billy Donovan, I was pleasantly surprised. It's just, it just completely different than what the Bulls have always done. And you, I'm still kind of – 
I'm at the mold finally where I'm like, okay, I, I got to stop thinking about what they did previously to think what the uh, moves AK is going to do going forward. So I was very happy with that. He's a guy known as a player's coach in a sense. He's not, not a guy that's soft in, in any means, but he, he knows how to connect with his players, you know, as Fred said, adapt to his players um, and really, you know, bring out the best in them, I feel like. And that experience is something we need right now. We didn't, I, I don't doubt that one of the assistants that we would hired for what eventually I worked out. But I think at this moment, a guy like Billy, Billy Donovan exactly is what we need. Real quick, I want to keep this rolling. I'll just give my thoughts uh, to Marcus's question on the scrub player. Ryan Archie Diacono, of course. Um, <laughs> oh, God. See, my answer to that, and, and I didn't say mine, is well, Gafford. I think Gafford's going to be uh, the breakout guy. I don't know if I would. I don't well, know if he's, he's, he's a scrub, though. He he showed yeah. nice potential. I, I'm all for Ryan yeah. A, just so we can keep seeing Fred uh, flip yeah. out on Ryan. <laughs> can I just say, here's one more. Chandler Hutchinson, Hutchinson yeah, has all yeah. the talent. Incredible yeah. athlete. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy. I really see glimpses of some things. He rebounds. Excellent rebounder. I see glimpses of what he could be. You know, hopefully we'll see Donovan be able to get him out of there. But I, I love Gafford too. So yeah, I'm glad I, you said Hutchinson. Sometimes I forget he exists. <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah. man. It's actually funny you bring that up, Ryan. Like I have to be reminded that Hutch is on this team. Like there's no, yeah, yeah it's... forget about him. <laughs> yeah. So the the panel in part two is really going to dive into uh, you know what we can in, expect in terms of roster changes, off season maneuvering. Um, but I want to see what you all think about what we can expect in 2021. So with Donovan as head coach, you know, I personally think AK and Eversley had to sell him on a vision where this rebuild would come into fruition pretty quickly. And based on his introductory press conference, it seems like they feel this roster has the talent and just needs to be groomed correctly with supplementary changes uh, an emphasis on real player development. Could this be a team that competes for a playoff spot in 2021? I'll start with you, Salim, and we'll work our way around. Yeah, I think the key word, yeah, is development uh, of players. That's going to be the most important part. Seeing, uh, I think Levine uh, is pretty close to what we can expect, but maybe he can really improve his playmaking. Uh, his passing game, that's probably the next step for him. And obviously, again, be more attentive on the defensive end. I never expect him to be a good defender, but just not be a complete, you know, negative. And to his credit, I think the effort is there. Um, yeah, and then, like, guys, we've talked about Wendell Carter Jr., Daniel Gafford, Kobe White, uh, even Larry. I, again, I, I'm unsure of his long-term uh, fit with the team. But, like I said, seeing those guys develop, you can potentially see them making a jump into the playoffs because anything else that they add, unless there's like a big trade out of nowhere, uh, like, you know, right now they're talking about with the Sixers guys like being uh, Simmons and Embiid being available potentially if Mike D'Antoni uh, takes over the job, but you're going to add like guys at the MLE. Um, that's what about 9 million. And I think Ryan, who's a pretty good cap crew, he would probably know the exact amount for the MLE, but that's going to be a role player. If you add someone there, he's not going to be a really big needle mover. So yeah, we're going to have to see development from these guys. And if those guys take a right step and I think they will, because the foundation is being created. Yeah. We could potentially see them competing for like maybe the eighth spot or whatever. There's no question to me that Billy Donovan, Arturo said it. He said, we sat down, this is a quote from the conference, we sat down, he's talking about him and Billy, we talked about the roster, I thought that this roster is more talented than what we showed the last two years, end quote. There's no way Donovan would have taken this job if he didn't believe that they were a lot closer to where they needed to be than the record showed. Let's not forget, Billy Donovan was on the other side of playing the Bulls at home in December, and he was down 26 points to the Bulls in the third quarter. And, of course, you know, Boylan and his idiocy allows a 26-point comeback where Chris Ball hits five threes in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I understand that, you know, it's a partly on the team, but it's also on the coach to stop a run like that and make the right moves. I, I think Donovan saw a team that was far more talented than they showed, 
and he it's clear. I mean, it's, it's we should all be excited because he had chances to go to talented teams like Indiana with already all stars on their roster. He had a chance to go to Sixers. He could have gone almost anywhere he wanted. I'm sure, even New Orleans, but he chose the Chicago Bulls because of what Artur sold him on, and because of the talent on this roster. I have no doubt if Brad Stevens was coaching the Bulls this season, we would have made the playoffs against a bum roster like Orlando or the Nets who were injured all season. It's inexcusable that we were out of that bubble because of our doofus of a head coach cost us at least five to ten games and the decisions that he made in playing time, choosing players to play, and timeouts, and et cetera, et cetera. So um, I'll get off my soapbox now. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, if you look at the teams they'll be competing with, like uh, Fred said, or the bum team Orlando, um, obviously I expect Brooklyn to be a little better. So, but, you know, a team like Atlanta and Charlotte and Washington will be competing for that eighth spot. Yeah, the Bulls could definitely be better than those uh, set of teams for sure. So there's no reason to believe they can't make the playoffs if that's going to be their competition. Uh, but it's just, it's just going to be so, it, it's just, we don't, we just don't know how this team will look under Billy Donovan. Um, but I definitely think they could be more competitive to compete with those teams for sure. I would have to agree. Marcus, how about you? Uh, in terms of competitiveness under Billy Donovan? Yeah, for a playoff spot potentially. I think we can do it. I really do. I think Lowry is going to get under this dark uh, cloud. Uh, if you remember the Peanuts cartoon, it seemed like he was Pigpen. You know, he had this big dirty cloud over him all season of unhappiness or uh, injuries or things being too tight on his shoulder or any of those other things. Uh, it, it just seems like he was a shell of himself while Zach Levine was, you know, trying to play hero ball. Uh, you got a, a bad Otto Porter Jr. Uh, injury streak that kept him out of most of last season. So I think if everyone can remain healthy, I definitely think that we can make the playoffs. So this next question, I actually want uh, Ryan to answer because he is the uh, self-proclaimed Bulls GM on the panel. Ryan, do you think the Bulls can position themselves to acquire a star caliber player in the near future, whether that's via trade or, or free agency? Looking at that that summer of 2021 or that offseason after the 2021 season, do you think there's a way to kind of position themselves that way? Yeah, I, you know, I'm personally not as big on the roster as like someone like Fred is, clearly. Um do I think they can acquire a superstar within the next three years to be like be championship competitive in the next three years? I mean, as of right now, I, I have to say no. I mean, could they put themselves in position? Sure. If we're talking about cap space, um, you know, they'll, they'll have plenty of money in 2021. And depending on what they do with uh, some of these extensions, they can have money beyond that. But it's, you know, until the roster plays better and, you know, we people can think they're good all they want, but until they, until they win and make the playoffs, um, you know, they're, they're far away. They're really far away from that. I don't think any star players looking at the bulls right now, like, man, I want to go to that situation. That obviously a lot can change within the next year. Um, but as of right now, for me personally, I, it's hard for me to see that path besides just the bulls is playing so much better than, than, than what they were last year and then completely changing their perception among, you know, amongst the, the top free agents coming up. So personally, no, I don't think they're really that close. Um, uh, with the current roster as is. If you look at uh, Bradley Beal, Bradley Beal called Billy Donovan his second dad. He's got two years left on his agreement. He's 27 years old. Next season and the following season, if he wants to leave, he'll let it be known. I will. I do not want to. I will not resign in Washington, and I will go to the following teams. And he'll give a list like every player has done who's demanded a trade in the last few years with the Bulls not on it. Does anyone here believe that the Bulls won't be on a list that Bradley Beal hands to the Wizards? We could right now, if we wanted, I'm sure get Paul George. Is Paul George a star? That's a question people have asked. I threw it out on Twitter. Would you give up Zach Levine and Laurie Markkinen and a number four overall pick for Paul George? Well, Maybe. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me throw this out there. Do we think Bradley Beal is, is considered a star or game-changing talent in that same threshold as Levine? Yeah, I mean, I think he's more proven than Levine on in a playoff atmosphere at the, at the very least. I think you've seen him perform well in the playoffs. You've seen him 
uh, show up for his team. So I would say he's, and he's an all-star. Levine has still not made that all-star leap. Uh, we can argue that if the Bulls were a, play, a playoff team, maybe he would, but I don't know. And, and again, I feel like Bradley Beal does more things to impact the game than Levine does right now as well. Um, I think defensively, probably he's better than Levine. Um, I think he's probably a better decision maker on offense overall than Levine. So, yeah, I would say he's better than Levine. But um, And, yeah, you're not going to turn him down for sure. You're not going to turn down if Bradley Beal wants to come to the Bulls. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take that in a heartbeat. Marcus, do you have any any additional thoughts, or do you think this is something that that could eventually could could they potentially leverage this situation to to get a superstar in the next year or two, or do you think that's a a ways away? Going back to the last segment, in comparison to a year ago or one of the previous segments, did we think we were close to getting any sort of superstars last year? No, we knew there was no way anybody was going to come and play for Boylan. Now, I think there's a glimmer of hope. I think we can get somebody, maybe not this year. Uh, maybe we have to prove ourselves and just, you know, dip our toe into the playoffs. But I think within the next year or two, we've got someone with uh, some chops that, that will be a player wearing a Bulls uniform. I, I'd like to jump into and say one really quick thing about how quickly things can turn around. I'll never forget a February day in 2008 where I was driving into the city and I had that jackass Dan Bernstein and listening to Boers talk on the radio about how bad the Bulls were, how this is a lost cause, that they have zero chance of going anywhere and they should just blow it up. And on that team was obviously a rookie, Derek Rose. Um, they made one trade with Sacramento before the year was out. They won seven games with Boston. Uh, obviously Ben Gordon walked that following. It still looked dark. The fact remains within two years, two and a half years, they were in Eastern Conference Finals. You need development from your young players. You need one guy or several key free agents to come on, as happened in 2010 with Boozer and Korver and a whole the whole bench mob. And the development, though, is a key thing. Derrick Rose went from very good as a rookie to an all-star in his second year, to an MVP in his third. What kind of development can we see out of Kobe White? What kind of development can we see out of Zach Levine, who's gotten better every year in the past three years? Can they get better? Absolutely. I think Wendell Carter Jr. has first all-NBA defensive ability. Laurie Markkinen is was lost last year. You know, where is he? Is he the guy that we saw in February 2018, averaging 25-12? It's in there. You know, let's see the development. And really quickly... You could, we could be talking like, oh, this team's nothing. We should blow it up and we'll be in the Eastern Conference Finals because Miami's not that stinking good. I don't care what anyone says, and they're probably going to represent the East. Are we freaking nuts? Is this serious? Like, this is really happening? Yes, it's happening. Miami, fifth seed in the East, you know, I'm sure the bubble had something to do with it. We'll probably be representing the East. The East is there for the taking. Durant's on the downside of his career. Butler's on the downside of his career. Every good player, with the exception of Giannis and what Giannis and the players that are in Boston, are pretty much on the downside of their career in the East. It, it, we're on the upside. It's going to be us, Atlanta, Boston. Well, I, well we need to get our Derrick Rose. I, that, there's no one on this roster that's that has that potential. So Kobe, um, Rose, Kobe White, no, no, not not, not Derrick no, Rose, no. Oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. What we saw from Kobe White in the 10 games after the All-Star game was as good as what we saw from Derrick Rose in his rookie year. That's a yeah, fact. And, and in that one month, Laurie looked like a really great player. It's, yeah, guys I have agree. these. got to be more fans. consistent. Yeah. Guys no have about these, it. you know, moments. It's it's not – like I said, we don't have – that team that uh, took the jump to the Eastern Conference Finals, if you don't have Derrick Rose caliber player, that team's not anything as – you know, we saw what that team was without Derek. Well, they got they to the try hard. Yeah, they're a try hard second round team. That's not any. That's not a contender. Um, we, we need that talent, and right now we don't have it. I think like we like Zach. He's a really good scorer. Um, you know, we hope some of these guys can really surprise us. But yeah, but Salim, so, so we'll I'll throw it right back at you. What is what is Miami? Are they a contender? 
I mean, they have two stars. They have two stars. Two stars. In, yes. And Bam and Jimmy Butler. And yes. you're telling me you do not think it's it's impossible. And they have, still have any of our four players to... that any of our four players can develop into a Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo type level. That's impossible. I, I mean, nothing is impossible. I could win the, you know, we could win the lottery. I, you know, a lot of things can happen. It's right mm-hmm. now. I don't see that all NBA caliber player on our team well, right now. I don't. And, and I, I think, and I'll, I'll just kind of chime in to kind of keep this flowing here. I think that uh, what, you know, Salim, I, I get what you're saying too. Like, like Missouri, you got to show me like eventually, you know, if, if those players Fred do develop into to that, like we'll believe it when we see it. I want to wrap this up by asking where everyone's confidence level is and, uh, and why. Uh, and I'll, I'll start with you, Fred. Because you 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 are our Bulls optimist here on a scale of one to ten, uh, how optimistic are you that the Bulls can be title contenders within the next three years, and why? I'd say title contenders. I'm at about a six or seven, just because I have serious concerns about Laurie Markkinen. It's a very simple path for the Bulls to win a title. You need Laurie Markkinen and Wendell Carter Jr. hitting the three between 38 and 40 percent, and then you have Kobe White, Zach Levine. And whoever we get to play the three in the free agent market, attacking the rim, bringing the bigs out, it, it, that's just a very simple bet. Basketball is, dev- is devolved into a very simple game. Do you have players who can punish, uh, spread out court, spread out defense, and do you have players that can hit the three? Uh, you know, they're some symbiotic, really, basically. If you look at all these teams, with the exception of the Lakers, who really don't hit the three at a high level, but they have such elite talent in their two superstars, that's what it takes, you know, and uh, that's what you see with Boston. So you see with Miami with the sh- great shooters that they surround Jimmy with. And, um, you know, we'll see in Denver. Look, at I, I love that team, too. You know, so, I mean, you got to be able to three. And if our bigs can can develop into that, I think great things will follow. Yeah, it's hard to give a number on on a contender. It's, I mean, it's like a shot in the dark. Like I said, my, I don't think we have a star at the, at the on the roster, uh, someone that can become like a a top 10, 15 player in this league. Um, on like they, at this moment, you don't, they don't have the potential. Anything can happen. On on you know unseen potential, you know, can also become these stars but it's again right now we don't have that so it's hard to see unless we get that person that is the best player i i think at that point then we can say they can be you know a contender in, in so many years uh, let me let me throw this out kind of to the group to kind of help reframe this too you know if ak eversley can sell a vision um i mean do you trust them to sell a vision at some point to a potential star yeah, I think the best bet is for them to do what the Nets did. Like, if you can have some a lot of young talent, make other stars around the league think, "Hey, the Bulls have something special going." I want, I want to trust to go there. I think that's the, our, our Bulls' best bet in the next what two, three years to to do that and convince maybe and next year even if something you know happens this year where we really look a lot more positive and Giannis notices us or something like that. But that's, again, it's a pipe dream, but that I think probably that's our best bet to, to go the route of what the, how the Nets, uh, Sean Marks, I believe is able to really, you know, turn that franchise around and was able to land Kyrie and KD to go along with some of the young guys that they already had. So NBA free agents are a lot like musicians, right? They don't always look for bands that have had number one hits. They want to find a drummer who's got a good beat. They want to find a bass player in that band who can hit it in the pocket. And, you know, then you've got something to work with. And how many times have we seen uh, these free agents that just come into town like Dwayne Wade and other ones that we thought would make the difference that just wrote it out because of the coaching staff that was here, like Fred Hoiberg in the, in the instance of Dwayne Wade. So do I think that free agents are going to come here and just money bag? No, not under this regime. Uh, I don't think that these players are going to get away with what they did with Boylan and with Fred Hoiberg and, and the rest of them. I just don't. So, uh, you know, I, I think that we do have a shot of it because because of the fact that people are going to take it seriously. They know that there's not a time clock in the in the gym uh, on their way in to make sure that they've been put in the work. 
I think Billy Donovan's the kind of straight shooter, and he's proven it from the collegiate level on up that every one of these guys knows that this is, you know, a, a no BS kind of a coach. And I think free agents are also attracted to that. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, to answer the question, uh, uh, how close are they to be a championship contender? I just, I, I'm not very high, unfortunately. I just, well, you know, I know a lot of people are banking on this 2021 cap space for the Bulls to get them that star, but there are going to be teams like Toronto, Miami, Golden State, who also have cap space, who I would much rather go to, as of right now, right now, uh, go to as a destination. And until the Bulls prove that they're better than those teams, and you know, there's other teams too I haven't mentioned, but those those specific teams, it's I just I don't see why why would Giannis want to come to the Bulls over Miami or Golden State or um, I can't think of another star top of my head, but I just don't. I, I'm, I, I, the Bulls are heading in a good direction for sure, um, but as far as getting that top five player, top ten player to leave not only their team but to avoid some of these other teams that have also really good situations. Uh, I just, at this point, don't see it. Um, uh, but trust me, I would love to get proven wrong <laughs> on that. But yeah, as of right now, I just not very high. There's just too many other situations that are better. The Bulls aren't the only team with cast space in 2021. So it's not like, you know, they, they, they'll, have, they'll, they'll have competition for these players. And so they're going to have to make themselves stand out against, uh, uh, on, um, compared to some of these other teams. And I'm not sure right now they're there. Well, I, I can tell you that there is one player that will emerge into a superstar on this team. Ryan Archidiacono. <laughs> uh, you know, gentlemen, thank you. Thank you for your time and, and for participating on this panel. Um, that's it for part one of our State of the Bulls panel. And part two, we'll discuss this year's draft 2020 free agency and the robust 2021 offseason. Until then, thanks for listening, Bulls Nation. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.